0: It's late on a warm spring afternoon on the banks of the Zambezi River. The rains haven't come yet, and the sun is sinking in a fiery orange ball into a haze of dust kicked up by elephant and buffalo and wildebeest. We are in Mana Pools National Park, the vast and beautiful park that stretches along the Zambezi River banks in northern Zimbabwe. As the heat leaches out of the day, the sweet notes of a ukulele tune fill the cooling air. Ukulele is being strummed by a man named Nick Lyon. Nick is a BBC cameraman and a producer and a director, and he's got plenty to be happy about. For much of the past three years, Nick has spent a lot of time in the park shadowing and hanging out with and filming a pack of African wild dogs, or painted wolves as we now know them, for Dynasties, BBC Earth's dramatic new series. The show, narrated by Sir David Attenborough, looks at the extraordinary lives of five iconic animals, lions, tigers, chimpanzees, wild dogs or painted wolves, and emperor penguins. We have flown to Vundu Camp, a privately run concession in Manapool's National Park, to meet the crew and hang out with them, and maybe even meet some of the cast. (laughs) Nick and his crew saw and heard things that have never ever been recorded before. We'll get to that later. Meanwhile, here's the director himself.
1: Uh, My name is Nick Lyon. Uh, I am the producer director and sometimes camera on the Painted Wolf episode of Dynasties. What is it about Painted Wolves that um, moves you so? Because I can see this light in your eyes. I was very excited at the the opportunity to tell their story before getting to know them because I think of all the five species in this series, they're probably the most misunderstood. And the opportunity to work with a species, not just for a shoot or two shoots, but to come back again and again for a couple of years, that's a very rare opportunity. And to do it with such an amazing animal and almost give this species a voice through film, I fought very hard to get this, this program. So what was it like coming to Africa, to Zimbabwe, and being confronted with this highly endangered predator? Strangely, this is my first time to Africa. And having worked many years in swamp forests, kind of slogging away, finding where it's hard to find animals, then coming here, to Mana Pools, probably one of the most beautiful places on the planet, and working with an animal that isn't hard to find, but actually is willing to accept you, this was a gift. There were many times where it was very hard, but honestly, the best thing I've ever done. On the first shoot, we had remarkable success with Nick. He did a brilliant tracking job, and we I think we had about 17 encounters um, with the painted wolves, giving us a somewhat false impression of how easy it was gonna be. And we came back on the second shoot, and we spent a grand total of two hours with uh, the painted wolves. And that was doing 16 hour day every day for four weeks.
0: Isn't the old advice
1: from movie making to never work with children or animals? <laughs> well, I'd probably make the wrong career for that. I love working with animals. They, you know, what they don't ever do is they don't do anything to spite you. They either do what they're going to do or they don't do what they're going to do. And, and you just have to learn to ride it. You can't, you can't put that stress back on yourself. You have to always find the best scenario to get the best out of them. But really nature is nature. You can't, you can't manipulate it. um, And you can't let it get you down. But what it means is when things do come together, then it is the most incredible thing. If you get a scene, and I think we've got many in the film that I don't think anyone's ever filmed before. The only times really I've seen this species on television, they've been hunting. And that, that gives a very one-dimensional perspective on the species. And it kind of plays into this stereotype of most ruthless killers. I don't think anyone's going to walk away from this film thinking a painted wolf is a ruthless killer. They will see that they are actually the underdog out here uh, on the African plain. They are much smaller than lions. They're much smaller than hyenas, smaller than crocodile. And everything bigger than them can do them harm. And the only way they survive is by supporting each other in their family unit, in their packs. And they are incredible animals. You know, if there's one thing I want people to walk away from this film with is this is a very noble species that deserves our respect and deserves our protection.
0: Mike Gunton, creative director at the BBC's Natural History Unit, sat down with me at Vondukamp Camp and gave me some insight into the making of these documentaries.
2: Uh, Mike Gunton, I'm the creative director of the Natural History Unit and an executive producer making wildlife films for the BBC. One of the most important things about the choice of the creatures in this series was not only, of course, their, their box office, their are fascinating, their, and the stories that they would that they would generate would be, I think, would be amazing, but also they are all endangered creatures. And I thought it was important to have the context that even these super charismatic creatures are all facing serious challenges in their future, not just as individuals, but as a species. The Painted Wolves episode is uh, part of a much bigger series, Dynasties, um, but it's a very good example of what the whole ethos of the series is about, which really fundamentally is about animal families and the power struggles within those kind of social mammals where if you can be the, the boss, if you can be the, the alpha, the king, the leader of that group, you get all sorts of advantages because you're the one who gets the most food, but most importantly, you're the one who gets to produce most of the offspring. And that's why it's called dynasties. Um, there are five animals we've chosen in this series, all of whom have got their own fascinating stories to tell They're all social animals, all social mammals except one, uh, chimpanzees, lions, tigers, painted wolves, and the kind of joker in the pack is emperor penguins, which is in itself an extraordinary story, but slightly different. With dynasties, we were taking this enormous risk by saying, nope, we're going to go to this one specific location where these particular animal family, particular named family with named individuals, which we want to follow, and we're going to spend upwards of up to three years just following them. Now, that if that goes wrong, you know, if the authorities throw you out, or if the animals die, you know, you're in your film's in trouble.
0: Making these things sounds like a military campaign. You've got massive challenges, massive logistics.
2: Uh, Can you enlarge on that a bit? They are logistically challenging. Again, interestingly, this series, compared with, say, A Planet Earth Two, was probably less of a challenge because although it was a huge investment, you are, because you're going to one place, It's really tricky to get these things going, to get the relationships right, get the logistics right. But once you've nailed it, actually, if you get it right, everything falls into place. If you have good backup and you have good scientific backup, you have good logistical backup, you have local help, the machine runs pretty well. Of course, you get disasters, kit breaks and all the rest of it. But in some ways, I'd rather do another one of these than one of these multiple location things. Because the team here was probably 20% the size of a Planet Earth 2 type thing. Well,
0: so like guerrilla filmmaking then?
2: Yeah, but the key thing, of course, it's getting your team right in the first place. And one of the things that was interesting about this project was for a director to go make one of these programmes, I could have had a queue you know, twice around the block because this is a dream for a director. Because you own this film in a way that you often don't own a film because you are here on your own with a, and also the cinematographers, also another cube on the block, because again, they have the chance to really photographically author these programs. It's a very small team. That actually is a kind of guerrilla filming because they can get undercover, under the radar and immerse themselves.
0: this is a podcast and podcasts all about sound i asked nick about how they'd managed to capture some of the spectacular audio in painted wolves
1: one of the things i was very keen on um was to collect as much sound as possible on location but obviously in the heat of the moment um if your vehicles are running and you've got a long telephoto lens that makes an animal that's maybe 25 meters away from you feel you know you, you can get a headshot then that's not how sound works. I had to keep in my head a lot of the key moments from the film and try and get into those situations again with a microphone so I could get the authentic sound for that event. One of the key sequences in the film was obviously the death of the puppy at night, and it just wasn't, it wasn't a scenario to be able to get sound. So one year later, I found myself in a very similar situation. The hyenas had been really hassling the painted wolves at night, and I got down on the ground and I got into the middle of the hyena. Uh, Henry was watching my back. I had the headphones on. It was um, in mono, so I, I didn't really have a sense of direction. And I couldn't really see because we'd, we'd just turned the vehicle off. So I hadn't got my night vision at this point. And suddenly I had my ears blown by a as uh, a hyena was standing right next to my microphone. And that. And Henry turned his light on to me, and I was surrounded by twenty hyena. So I had, I had about the right number of hyena, and they were going crazy over a baboon kill that the, the painted wolves had made. And painted wolves were yipping around the outside. So we had the right kind of scenario to exactly replicate what we had filmed a year before. And then, sadly, later they actually did take another puppy that night. So it was the exact same circumstance and inc- incident, so it's almost you know you're doing twice the work first you've got to film it then you've got to capture the sound <laughs> we try and do it as honestly and truthfully as we can within the limits of reality what's been your best moment in the making of painted rules i mean this, there are so many but i think a moment that was not only, it felt like a privilege and it was quite joyful, but it was a turning point in the film. So with painted wolves, when they have their puppies, they still need to go out and hunt, but they always leave a babysitter with the puppies. So Tate went out to hunt, and I couldn't see where the babysitter was, but I thought she'd got a little bit of elevation so that she could, you know, see 360 around the den. And then about 10 minutes later, the pups pop up, and I'm waiting for the babysitter to put them back to bed. But there is no babysitter. And then i realized that tate has left us as the babysitter so i have to go and encourage the pups to go back down into the den and uh, after the morning hunt tate comes back in absolutely relaxed as anything looks at us runs down then calls the pups up feeds them it's like oh so that's what we are now <laughs> but that was you know, that was an acceptance um that and after that point you know, it was just, it just took things to another level in as much as they, they really didn't worry about us at any point And we could show them the drone, you know, take it up to them in our hands, show it to them, back off, put it up in the air. They would look up at it and that was it. They didn't look at it again. How did you get the puppies back in the den? I just kind of, I didn't touch them, but I was just like, shh, 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 and kind of did pushing motions. But I obviously didn't want to touch them or put my scent on them. But um, yeah, it was... It's quite hard because they're very inquisitive, and, and until someone like Tate does a warning growl, that's to say this thing is dangerous, but she didn't do that us because she never found us dangerous. So they, you know, they were just very friendly. You didn't, you didn't try growling at the puppies? I didn't try growling at the puppies, no.
0: In a world gone mad, we often lose sight of what's important. We've lost our connection to nature. We've forgotten about animals. I asked Mike Gunton what he hoped dynasties would achieve.
2: I hope that the audience, and I feel this, that what's so special about this series, you've, for the first time, I think, sense these creatures every single day of their lives have an intense struggle just to survive. And how they do it, and it, it's this life force that this series demonstrates that life will find a way is almost an inextinguishable flame. And particularly when the stakes are so high as they are in these sort of social groups, and these dynastic groups, I think it's a privilege that these animals kind of allowed us to see the secrets of their lives, what it's really like to live their lives.
0: At the start of the show, I told you that Nick and his crew had recorded something that had never been recorded before, never even been heard before. One day, while Nick was out watching the pack, they began to sing... The singing continued for about three weeks, off and on. It could have been part of a courtship ritual, because the dogs do that. But the scientists reckoned it was something else, that more likely this was the dogs choosing their new leader. Now, I'm not going to ruin it for you, because you need to go and see the episode, to see the magic, but I'm going to leave you with the singing. Dynasty's premieres is at 4pm on Sunday, 18th November, on DSTV channel 184. This has been the Sunday Times Travel Podcast, and I'm Paul Ash. Until next time, travel safely. I leave you with the sound of the painted wolves choosing their new leader.